My wife Jessica and I celebrated our 26th year of marriage this past July 16th. Yeah, more her than me. But in those 26 years, we have had nine children, and uh, those that have a fairly large number of children, uh, you know you get a certain type of response from people. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, on a trip to Nigeria, and I was preaching one Sunday, and before um, I went to preach, they, they pulled me aside and they said, make sure that you share some information about yourself before you do that. And I said, that's fine, I can do that. That's normally how you intro yourself. And, and they said, but make sure you share the number of children you have. Sure. Um, so I, I share that we have uh, this large family, and, and I start to get applause from the congregation. Uh, they're happy and joyful and clapping, and this is not the response we're normally given. Uh, more often than not, the question typically arises uh, when someone sees your large family, they, they typically ask you, how do you do it? How are you able to parent so many children through so many ages? Now, those with, with large families, I have no doubt you're asked that same question. But I'm going to share with you the secret this morning. The answer is you just do it. That's it. You just do it. I held my oldest daughter 25 years ago, soon to be 26. I was 21, and my wife was 18. We still joke to this day that anybody would let us leave a hospital with that child. I didn't know how to be a dad. I didn't know the first thing about being a parent. I, the nurse wouldn't let us leave until I showed that I could change a diaper. <laughs> now, that's me holding our number nine. That's Bobby. So what's the difference between that 21-year-old scared boy and this distinguished, handsome, <laughs> well-worn uh, man. I mean, was I given this great ability to co-parent a large family? Do I have this uh, just overwhelming amount of patience and understanding flowing through me? No, not, a, not at all. I learned to parent through good and through bad, through ups and downs, through victories and defeats, through wise counsel and foolish sin, you just do it. And as you do, as you just do it, you, you deal with some circumstances and, and the moments that you get. Some you handle with just sheer brilliance. Those moments where you stand back and you're like, yeah, I can do this and others where you find yourself apologizing to your children. But you do it. You grow in your parenting as a parent. I mean, if, if you want to know how to parent a large family, you have a large family. That's how you learn. We're going to spend our time this morning looking at Luke chapter 17, and we're going to spend most of our time looking at verses 5 through 10. 
And we're actually going to talk about, there we go, just two ideas. We're going to look at our faith and our obedience. Now, these are very familiar topics. For those that spend any time inside church walls, at some point you talk about faith and you talk about obedience. And this morning there's not much new coming at you, but I want to spend time talking about how we look at our faith and how we look at our obedience that is to follow. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to look at Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. So if you have them, please follow along as I read. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Wouldn't he rather say, Prepare, me, prepare my supper Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We're going to look at our faith. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And before we go any further, we probably need to ask the question of why they're making that request in general. Why all of a sudden are the disciples saying to Jesus, increase First of all, I want us to see that Luke is clear. Luke is clear here on who is making the request for the increasing. It's the apostles. The twelve disciples. This is not a request coming from a group of unbelievers. This is not a request coming from a group of Pharisees. This is the twelve. They did believe. They did have faith. But let's look at the why. Why do they make the request? Well, we need to look at verses 1 through 4, which is just above it, and we can see that it leads them to ask the Lord for this increase of faith. Jesus says to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The disciples, the disciples here catch a glimpse of what it's going to take to follow Christ, to do what Christ is telling them to do, what he's commanding them to do. I mean, first of all, how can anybody be patient with someone else? like this how can you live like that and with these people lord increase our faith as followers of christ we are we are called to to not cause weaker brothers weaker sisters to sin and this is true for the church as well we're responsible for the spiritual growth of a fellow member lord increase our faith we're to rebuke 
and forgive sin. When we are to rebuke the other Christian who has sinned against us, and when they repent of their sin, once the repentance has taken place, we're to forgive them. How many times? Even seven times a day, you must forgive them. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. If you want to see this request that the apostles make for, for more faith, we, we need to look at this and we need to see that this request they make is unified. This isn't coming from just Peter. This isn't coming from John. There's not a disciple chirping in the background. This is a unified statement. This is a unified request. And when we think of the disciples, and we think about them talking, and we think about them asking questions, very seldom do we see them unified. Right? We, we see who beat who to the tomb. Right? Who's going to sit at the right hand? We, we even come across the what about him questions. Oh, but, but here we have one request speaking for them all. And I, I, think, I think we would be quick to echo these same words. I, I know I would be quick to echo them. The only way that I'm going to live a life like, they, like being commanded, a, a, a life like this is with the more faith than I have now. There's no possible way I can live like this with what I have. In Luke's gospel, faith is often connected to faithfulness or, or even obedience. We see this throughout the pages of his book. Actually, if you even look past this, this chapter, past what we're reading here in 17, and you look at the rest of 17 into chapter 18, you can see stories and parables and guiding from Jesus to be obedient, to be faithful. The disciples wanted to be faithful. They wanted to be obedient. They knew that if they were going to obey the command to forgive like God, then they're going to need help. Forgiveness like this doesn't just come naturally to anybody. And it's not something that we just flippantly do. So here we are. Jesus commands us to do something that we are incapable of doing without the Holy Spirit's divine help and guidance. So the apostles say, increase our faith. They make this request, a request that we would make. And Jesus replies to them, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. That's small. Increase our faith. Well, if you had a faith that small, you could ask that tree to move and into the sea. I'm sorry, what, Jesus? Like, Jesus is given a little bit of a sass here. It's, it's, it's even coming across a little snarky. It's, it certainly isn't very sympathetic. Jesus says, you need to do these things, and they say, we need more faith. And he says, well, just a little bit of faith can, can do this miraculous thing. So instead of promising needed faith, Jesus just moves past it. And speaks about seeds and trees and planting in the sea. Jesus wants his disciples to understand for them to get 
what he is, is, is calling them to do, for them to possess this true faith, even if that faith seems small, amazing and awesome things can be accomplished when that faith is a working faith. A faithfulness to Christ's commands will produce results that we cannot fathom, that we cannot imagine. So it's, so it's less about the amount of faith, right? Increase our faith, and it's more about the faith you already possess. Now, before we go any further, it, it, it may be helpful if we just define the word faith. We use the word faith a lot, especially in the walls of the church, in Sunday school, we speak about faith. We talk about faith from the pulpit, but we also talk about faith in the world that we live in. People throw around the word faith often. So maybe if we define it, especially through the Bible, we can have a better understanding of it. If we look at a Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And it's assurance about what we do not see. When we read the word faith in the New Testament, it's often speaking about belief or, or even a conviction based around trust. But, but faith isn't just this intellectual stance. It's just not head knowledge. And we see this. Actually, we read this in the, in the passage of James. We came across this. James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith is a belief that leads to action. James speaks about demonstrations, demonstrating his faith by his works. Think back to the illustration with parenting. You want to parent? You want to learn how to parent? Be a parent. Do it. You have it. Do it. And we, what we do, the things we do, speak more about what we believe than the words we say, right? You all have heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, right? You've been preached that ever since you've been a small child, right? It matters what you do, not just what you say. James echoes this. Jesus is speaking about this. When I speak to students about faith, whether they're junior high, senior high, even young adults, when we talk about faith, it, it, we typically always get to the illustration of the chair, it's an easy illustration. Many of you have heard it. Many of you know it. Um, I maybe have even shared it with some of you. When you walk into a room and you look at the chair, do you study the chair? Do you test the chair? Do you do any kind of figuring out before you just sit in the chair? You don't. You walk in and you sit down. Now, you have belief that the chair is going to hold you up. You have a, a belief that the chair was constructed and designed in a way that it's going to hold you up, but it isn't until you sit that you put your faith in the chair. There's a difference between believing that the chair is going to hold you up and actually putting your body down on the chair for it to hold you. Belief and faith. Faith is putting that belief into 
action. And this is the faith of salvation. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We need to trust that God is real and that what he says is true. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and here you go, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not just a matter of knowing it, it's a matter of putting it into action and knowing that God has prepared that for you. So faith is an active trust in God. It is a belief in that what God says is, is true. And, and that results in action. We have a faith in God. We believe that we are sinners deserving of an eternal punishment. We believe that Jesus came into the world and lived a perfect life. That he died a death that we deserve. And on the third day he rose again conquering sin and death. We trust that Jesus will save us from our sins. We have faith that he gives us the Holy Spirit. And that we trust the Holy Spirit to do God's work of sanctifying in our lives. This is faith. This is the faith that you have as a Christian. If you profess in Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have faith. This is the faith that Jesus is talking about. Even a small faith. A mustard seed sized faith. You have faith. A mustard seed faith can replant a tree into the sea. The smallest imaginable amount of faith, and it's enough to accomplish miracles. This is what we read. Last weekend, our family planted a new tree on our property. There was a lot of digging and planting and watering and more watering. It would have been much easier if I could have just spoke, and that tree planted itself. It would have been much easier if I just said, let's plant the tree there, and I could move the tree with my mind to where it needed to go, that the tree could uproot out of the container it was in and into the ground. It would have been much easier. But this is not what we're called to do. This is not what we're getting spoken to here about. This is not a call for us to be God's people and do miracle tricks. No, this is a call. What we read here is a call for us to realize our potential. I, I want you to get that. I want you to hear that. I want you to know that this morning as you walk out these doors, that what you read here is about your potential. What you have is already there. This is a call for us to put our faith into actions. Brothers and sisters, you may find yourselves echoing this plea for more faith. But you don't need more faith. You have faith. If you profess in Christ as your Lord, you have that faith. You need to see that the faith is already in you. 
It's already working in you. Think back to that opening illustration. My parenting ability was very small. I mean, like, like really, really small. When I was 21, holding my daughter for the first time, I knew nothing. Oh, I was so afraid I'd break her. I've learned over the years you can't break them. And you can do some stuff to them, and they're still okay. But over the years, and the more children, the more growth that came. The parenting ability was there. I didn't do anything. I still don't do anything. I just do it. You're just a parent. You just do it. And I know it sounds like a commercial for Nike, but I'm telling you, it is literally that simple. You have it, just do it. The faith is in you, so just do it. Jesus doesn't speak to the request of more faith. He doesn't give them more faith. He gives them a seed and a tree, and then he moves into speaking about obedience. And this is where we're going to find our second point. Look back at verses 7 through 10 with me. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The illustration Jesus uses here is a servant. Now, when we typically read Jesus and we come across this idea of being a servant, we see it much differently. Later on, we see Jesus actually serving the disciples by washing their feet, right? He's this great servant. But what we see here is Jesus is telling the disciples, you're to serve. Now, Real quick, look at verse 5 for me. And I want you to see how Luke describes Jesus. And the apostles said to the Lord. Luke is very clear that he is telling us that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the master. He is Lord of all. The master of the servant. And it's very clear who's the servant. Now recognize here that the master and the servant, they, they both recognize the task that is assigned. They also recognize who is required to do the task. Each of them, the servant and the master, expect that the servant will put the master's need ahead of their own. They will serve the master. And you can see this in verse 8. I mean, the servant is supposed to serve the master. And when the job is done, and what has been commanded is finished, does the servant deserve any special reward or acknowledgement? No. He did his job. He did what was expected. He did his duty. Look at verse 10. So you also, when you have done everything that you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. 
Jesus is telling the disciples a command. Remember verses 1 through 4? When a person sins, he is to be rebuked. He's to repent and then forgiven. This is not a choice. This is not just for something for people to do that have a huge amount of faith. This isn't just for those who are some super spiritual giants. This is for us. This is the way every disciple is to live with other people. This is a matter of obedience to the, to the Lord. I'm not sure about you, but, but this is a struggle for me. I'm like, this is a big struggle for me. Knowing what is right and doing what is right are very different things. Much like having belief and putting your faith into action. This may come as a shock to some of you, but I mess up a lot. I often say things that are sinful, or I demonstrate my wicked heart, oh, too quickly. And in some of those moments, my wife will remind me that the path that I am choosing is sin. That I am, that I am, that I should not be responding in the way that I currently am. So she tells me, And because I am so smart, and because I am so clever, I often respond with the statement, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Therefore, I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. I succumb to my anger and my selfishness. My list is so long. but I'm not Jesus. And when I say that statement, I'm not giving glory to Jesus. I'm just basically saying that I know what is right, but I'm choosing sin. That is not obedience. That is self-serving, and it is sinful. Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, and he, he wrote this quote. He said, We all have a hunger of certitude. The problem is the gospel is not about certitude. It's more about fidelity. I had to look up a couple of the words in this quote. I had to define certitude. Certitude is something someone firmly believes is true. And fidelity is faithfulness to a belief. So Walter Bergerman here is saying that we all have a hunger for something firmly true. We want to believe something firmly true. The problem is the gospel is not about something firmly true, believing something is firmly true. It's more about faithfulness to the belief. Now, I'm no Old Testament scholar, but I don't think Walter Bergerman quite has it right here. I think that the gospel's about firmly believing in the truth, and I believe that the gospel is faithfulness to that belief. So he's almost right there. I believe that it's both. That we often link our desire to be obedient with our faith. It takes both. The gospel is believing in the truth, and it is living out that faith. Oh, so if I only had more faith... 
If I only had more faith, then I could do something important. If I only had more faith, I would never struggle with doubt. If I only had more faith, I wouldn't be scared. If I only had more faith, I wouldn't be angry. If I only had more faith, I would do the right things. Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus is throwing out our excuses here. When we make statements and we say things like, I'm not Jesus, if I was a better Christian, if I had more faith, then I would do this, or I would do all those good things, or I would even do those too hard for me to do things. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, that we don't need extra amounts of faith to obey. What we need to remind ourselves is that Jesus is Lord. That's it. Jesus is Lord, and we are his servants, and brothers and sisters, we are called to do what he has commanded. That's it. Just do it. We have certain expectations in my home. If you live in my house, you will follow them. One of those expectations is to unload the car when mom gets home from the grocery store. Uh, this is something that I had to do as a kid, and as a parent, I have instilled this in my home because I thought it was valuable. It's a good lesson. And the idea behind it is simple. You did not go to the store. So you better be ready to help unload the car and to carry the groceries in. You are not the one to handle them from the shelf to the cart, or from the cart to the conveyor belt, or from the conveyor belt to the bag, or the bag to the car. So you should not make your mom move the bags from the car to the house. If you have a desire to eat the food that was purchased, then you will not make me ask you to unload the car. Be ready. Now, my children do this. Just yesterday, from the littlest to the biggest, they help unload. I did not give them a sticker. I did not give them money. I did not reward them. It is something that is expected, and they did what was expected. Being obedient, doing what you have been commanded to do, following his words, those are things that are simply what God expects from us, from me, from you, from us. Do not expect to get some great prize because of what you do in faith. Also, it may be really helpful for your humility to remind yourself that God is the one at work. You get just to take part. Faith is accepting the role of obedient servant without expecting gratitude or reward. I mean, this is not easy. And I'll be honest, especially for those that are growing up in the everyone gets a ribbon in a high five world. This is hard. You want gratitude. You want appreciation. You want a pat on the back. You want someone to say what you're doing is good. Oh, but, but what do we read in verse 10? We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Truthfully, maybe we need to take a step back and look at our hearts. 
what our motive is, what our desire is. We've been called to faith and obedience, and if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, then we'll speak just how difficult this is for us. This is hard. Nobody reads through the Bible, nobody flips through all the commands and says, you know what, I got this. Have a seat. No. The apostles saw this as we do. So they make the request, give us more faith. Jesus says no. More faith is not the answer. You have faith, and that faith is enough to follow my commands. Even the smallest amount of faith will lead you to incredible things. Even forgiving over and over is not impossible. You have it, just do it. Forgiveness and obedience is what Jesus expects from us. Being obedient is what is expected. That is your job to do. Thomas Akempis says this, he says, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. My wife loves this quote. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When that car pulls into the driveway, if you're not waiting for your mom to unload those groceries, that is disobedience. Now, my kids have it easy. They can just track their, my mom, their, their mom on the, their phone. They can see where she is. As a kid, I had to just stand in the driveway waiting. Instant obedience. This is what you're called to do. It is hard. The list that he gives them is hard. You know this. But you also have faith. Faith that's already in you. Faith that's just waiting for you to act on. The apostles said, increase our faith. We say we need more faith. And brothers and sisters, we have the faith we need. We just need to be obedient to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise this morning. We thank you that we can come together as a body of believers, that we can worship together, Father. I, I pray that, that we would be encouraged by the time that we spend together. Father, we recognize that, that what you've called us to do, the commandments you have given us through Scripture, Father, it is hard. We fight our own selfish flesh daily. Father, it is easy for us to stand back and just say, I'm not Jesus. It is easy for us to stand back and say, well, if I, if I was just a better Christian, if I just had more faith, Father, you've made it clear that we have what we need. The challenge is for us to act. The challenge is us for, to be obedient. The, the challenge for us is to follow what you have told us to do. I pray, Father, that, that we would allow this truth to, to sink into our hearts. That we would just act. We would recognize that you just do it. Father, we also recognize that you are Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because you are Lord, we uh, faithfully serve you.
faithfully follow your commands. We're grateful that you have given your son Jesus and his perfect life, Father. We thank you for his death, his resurrection, that he now sits at the right hand of the Father and mediates on our behalf, Father. We pray even this morning in the name of our Lord. Oh, would we not shirk from that? Would that be the motivation that we have? Would it not be about ribbons and high fives? Would it be about serving our risen Lord? Oh, Father, be with us as we leave this place. Allow us to grow more and more like you. Allow us to further our, our voice of preaching your name. And Father, we ask all of these things this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.